it's important that we understand a little bit of the context of the book of Romans. Um, uh, people have said that Romans is, um, some people have called it the masterpiece of, of Paul's letters. Some people have called it uh, many different things. If uh, you are a, um, if you love theology and if you love learning about God, uh, Romans is usually the place that you're going to go to get a lot of that very rich and deep teaching about God. Um, Romans is uh, an incredible, incredible passage within the context of Scripture. Um, and so Romans, just to kind of give you a background real quickly, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but Romans, uh, Apostle Paul has wrote this letter and he wrote it to the church in Rome. The church in Rome was a predominantly Gentile church, which means that they were not the Israelites. So in, in, the, in the Bible, anybody who is not an Israelite typically is referred to as a Gentile. Um, and so this is, a, this is the audience that Paul is writing to, and his purpose for writing this book, um, his purpose in writing Romans, is to help us to understand the concept of righteousness. Um, and there's a lot of themes, and there's a lot of uh, really important theology that happens, but if we were to overall sum up the theme of Paul, it was to help us understand this term of righteousness, this right standing before God. What does it mean for me, a sinful man, to stand in the presence of a righteous God? How do I do that? And righteousness is the way that that happens. Um, one of the old theologians, um, John Calvin, said it this way. He said that man's only righteousness is through the mercy of God in Christ, which is being offered by the gospel that comes through faith. It is that good news that God has made a way for us. That's the righteousness. And so the theme is righteousness, right standing before God. And we know that the gospel is how that happens. It's the good news that God declares that sinners like you and I, those that have offended God, that we can be made righteous when we put our trust in the sacrifice of Jesus. That is the, that is the theme that Paul is getting to in Romans. If you, look at the, if you read the entire book, you're going to see that throughout. And I found one, one guy, one commentator, uh, had a really kind of interesting way of summing up Romans up until the point of chapter 8, and I thought this was really helpful. He used the acrostic Romans. Um, I think that's on our next slide, maybe. Nope. Should be another slide that looks like the previous one that has the word Romans. And some there it is. Sorry. All right. No, you're good. Um, and so this is a, a good little summary since we're not going to um, go through chapters 1 through 7 specifically in our time. We're going to focus on chapter 8. Uh, I, I found this to be a really helpful way to help us to understand. And he just made a little acrostic um, that helps us to think about that. And he uses the word Romans. So R is for ruin. So chapter 1 through 3 talks about um, the utter sinfulness of humanity, our broken condition before God, how we are completely, as, as, as he would use in other words, uh, we are completely broken before God. We, we have sinned against God. O is for offer, that God offers us a right relationship with him through the means of grace. He freely gives us that. And so that's uh, happening in chapter 3. Chapter 4, the M is the model um, Abraham as a model of faith. What it looked like that he talks about the faith of Abraham and it came through his believing God that he was then justified or made right before God. A is for access. It talks about the benefits. Um, now we have access to God and what are those benefits that are happening? That's in chapter, in chapter 5, the beginning of that. Um, and we're going to be in, in the latter part of chapter 5 today as well. Um, but he talks about the new Adam, how Christ has come to replace. What, what the first Adam messed up in the very beginning, Jesus is going to come to set right. And so Paul's going to use Adam as that picture um, of who Christ is. And then S is the struggle with sin, and this is really happening in chapters 6 and 7. And then 8, we're going to talk about how do we live victoriously in that. And so I, th I found that to be a very helpful understanding. And so as we turn to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 holds a very special place for a lot of people. Um, one of those old theologians um, that, that talks about this is a guy named Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther um, is, is um, he's, well, he said it this way. He says, if the Bible were a ring, right, then the book of Romans would be the gem um, that enhances that ring. It's that, that beautiful, precious part of that ring. 
And he says, and he says after that, then Romans chapter 8 would be the brilliant splendor that is, that is emanating, that is coming off from that ring. He held Romans chapter 8 to, to such a high standard. Um, and he said it's just, it's one of the most important teachings within the context of Scripture to help us to understand, understand who God is and who we are in relation to God. And so that's where we're going to be hanging out for the next six weeks is in this chapter, this significant chapter, Romans 8. As we look at Romans chapter 8, as I alluded to earlier, um, brilliant commentators and, and men of God have taken this chapter and they've, and they've focused on different areas. And I think all of those are true. Um, some, like, like uh, Pastor John Piper, he will come and he'll say that Romans chapter 8, he, he points out um, the, how Romans chapter 8 talks about the eternal love of God and the significance. And that's absolutely true. We can see that throughout. Um, Romans chapter 8 sums up that way by talking about that. Um, others will look at, at different aspects of Romans chapter 8. Um, some will talk about how Romans chapter 8 is the chapter to go for Christian assurance of our salvation. That we can be sure that when we're in Christ Jesus, that our salvation is, is secured in Him. We don't have to worry about losing that salvation because it's found in Him. I think it's interesting, as, as, as some people have pointed out, that Romans chapter 8 verse 1 starts out and says, There is now no condemnation. Right? There's no judgment for those in Christ. And if we flip to the end of Romans chapter 8, it says then there's no separation between us and God because of what Christ did. And so it's a chapter that can assure believers in the salvation they have that is in Christ. However, for us, we're going to be focusing on this idea of spirit. Romans chapter 8 mentions the word spirit 19 different times in here. And so when you get to a passage of scripture that, that says one word that many times, you need to take note of that. It's significant when, it, when, when, it, when a writer is going to say the same word over and over and over again. Uh, in fact, no other chapter in the New Testament contains as many direct references to the Holy Spirit as Romans chapter 8. And so this is going to be our focus. And we're not going to necessarily focus on who the Holy Spirit is. We're going to touch on that today. That's going to be the overview today of who the Spirit is. We're going to hit on that. But we're going to more focus on what does it look like to have the Spirit in our life? What does it look like for a believer in Jesus Christ to walk and live by the Spirit of God in their life? And so we're calling this series Life in the Spirit. right? Life in the Spirit because if you have the Spirit of God in you, your life should look a certain way. There should be things that, that happen in your life if the Spirit's in there. And Paul's going to lay those out. He's going to compare those to those that don't have the Spirit and what it means to, to live that way. I feel like there's a passage outside of Romans that has uh, significant importance as well for us to understand. This is, something, this is a passage that has hit our, our team of, of elders uh, and bedrock, it's a passage that for years we've been saying over and over and over again because there's so much value in that. Um, but in, in John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus says this. He says, uh, I'm going to start in, in 62 and then get into 63. But he says, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascended to where he was before? Right? He asks a question. And he says, what if you were to see that? And here's what he says about the insight of, of understanding, he says in verse 63, For it is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. See, there's a place that the Spirit gives life. There's an importance of, of, of knowing and having the Spirit within us. Um, and so we're going to focus on the Spirit as we get into Romans chapter 8. We're going to focus on what is... Uh, the Spirit of God, and how does it play, how does the Holy Spirit play out within our lives? And so if you will, um, let's just pray um, and just ask God to teach us. There's so much here um, that there's no way I could do it justice in the time that we have this morning. And so let's just pray together, um, ask that the Spirit would come and that He would teach us um, what it is that God wants us to get in this passage. So God, thank you for this time. God, I, I pray that God that your word would, God, it would do what it always does. God, that it would reflect and it would shine. It would, uh, God, we would see ourselves in it, see the, the areas that we, we miss the mark. And God, you would, um, God, through our time in your word, just change us and mold us and shape us. 
Gotta strip away the old, messed up, corrupted stuff, God, and 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 bring in the new. God, uh, we just pray that your spirit would work and be with us in, in our time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so as we look at the first four verses of Romans chapter eight, here's where we're gonna here's where we're going. We're gonna realize and we're gonna see that we are rescued, okay? And that word rescue, that's a big word for us around here at Bedrock in Franklin County. That's part of our mission statement is we believe that we have to bring this message of rescue and restoration, right? So we're going to see that we are rescued, and then we're going to see how that happens. And and Paul's going to lay out how that happens. First, by the will of God, by the work of Christ, through walking in the Spirit. And so if you will, um, we're going to read this passage together, um, just four verses, and then we're going to go into each one of those. So starting in verse 1, it says, There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has been has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we have been rescued. We've been rescued. That's apparent in the first um, in the first two verses. It says that there is therefore now no condemnation. Right? And that word condemnation means judgment. There's now no judgment for those that have put their selves, who are found, whose lives are in Christ Jesus. You see that therefore provides a hinge in this book. Romans chapter 1 through chapter 7 all talks about sin and death. It talks about how the brokenness of man has led to death. And that's what we deserve because of that. But starting in in, in verse 1 of chapter 8, there's a hinge with that therefore. That means that something's changing. And the hinge is that now there is no longer that judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul is making a case that that blame and that judgment that was handed down, now there's freedom from that. There's freedom from that. And he's going to go on to say that this condemnation um, is not based upon our conduct, right? We're not freed from the judgment because of what we do, because we do good things. But it's going to be because of our position in Christ. It's going to be because of who we are, not what we do. Our righteousness before God, our, our not being under this condemnation is going to be because of Christ and what he has done to take that away. He has literally come and rescued us from our sin and from our death. And says in verse 2 that for the, for the law of, of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Because of what Christ did, we've been set free from the law and the sin. See, Jesus Jesus knew that was his mission when he came. He was very clear. Uh, like, in, like in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Right? That was Jesus' purpose and his mission, and he never got off from that purpose and mission. He stayed the course. He completed that because he knew that we needed rescuing. So we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. There was nothing that we could do. We were stuck in our sin. And so Jesus came on this incredible rescue plan to rescue us out of that. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul writes, he says, this, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Pay attention that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Oh, and by the way, I'm the chief. I'm the top one of those, right? Paul has an understanding that he as much as anybody else, needs that saving. And I think each one of us could land ourselves in that boat this morning as we look back and we think about what Christ did for us. But he set us free. We are no longer in bondage to that. We're no longer stuck in that life of sin and death. But we are free now in Christ. Now, one warning about that word, when he says that we are free, that doesn't mean that we have a free license to do any sin that we want to do. right? Paul addresses that in Romans and other places. Um, it doesn't mean that now that we are freed from in Christ that we can just go and, and, and live it up and, and be sinful because our hearts are not going to want that, right? But we're going to be free to do good works and we're going to be free to live and to follow Christ in our lives. And so we have been rescued. 
So what I want you guys to do, we're going to take a minute, um, and I want you guys to turn around to some people around you, and I want you to, to answer this question, okay? What is one thing that you have been rescued from? Have you ever been in a situation where you have just been in need of someone doing something for you that you couldn't do? Um, and so talk about that for about a minute with the people around you real quick, and we're going to jump back in and, and talk about this. All right. Well, I know I know you probably just got in the middle of, of one person telling a sto great story, and um, maybe you guys can finish those stories here in a little bit or uh, come to a life group, and you have lots of time to do that. So there's my shameless plug for life groups. Um, but I think as we look at rescuing, I think one of the questions then is, well, how how then are we rescued? When we look about our, when we look at our lives and we say that that we were rescued from our sin and death, how did that happen? Well, first we're going to see as Paul points out here that that it was it was God. God had a plan and a will to rescue us out of that sinful condition. Look at verse three. Paul says this. It says um, there it is. For God has done. Okay, stop right there. God has, God has done. God has made an action. God has, God has instituted this plan to rescue us. And, and he goes on to say, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, can never do. See, God had set up this law to teach Israel how to live and how to follow him. And we know from other places in Scripture in the New Testament that that purpose of the law, and Paul's even going to say this, that the purpose of the law was to show us that we can never complete the law. It was to show us how broken we are. The law was given so that we could see our sin and how far we are from God and that we could never do it on our own. But God makes that first move. Why? Well, God had to make the first move because we are broken and in sin. We were incapable of making that sin, of making that move. Because of the sin that we have in our life, we couldn't rescue ourselves. Our condition was without hope. Bible says that we were we were dead, right? And when you're dead, there's nothing you can do. We were dead, and we needed God. We were dead in our rebellion against God, and so God put this plan into motion to rescue us. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul will write about the deadness of our sin, and I want us to go there. Uh, we're going to look at verses one through seven. I want us to go there because he outlines, he shows us what our condition was. In sin, and look at the look at the bold words. Uh, I've tried this time as best I can to bold things that were really important as far as what we're talking about. Um, and so, look, starting in verse one, he says, "And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked." Okay, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. So Paul here is saying that we were we were dead, following one that was leading us away from God, the spirit that is now at work in. The sons of disobedience, right? This, this evil spirit that is, that is within the lives of those that are not following God. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God. Can we all say that? But God. But God. That's, that's an incredibly hopeful um, two words in Scripture, right? The, our condition was dead. And we were without hope because we were following after the evil um, that is at work within this world. But thank God, right? And he goes on to say, being rich in mercy. Why? Because of the great love with which he loved us. In, in, in 1 John, John's going to say that, that we couldn't even love God first. That he had to love us first in order to teach us how to love. Right? But because of that great love that he had, even when we were dead, right, and, and without hope, that we may be made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The good riches and grace of God is what has saved us and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Right? That's why he did it. That's why he rescues us. It's because of his good kindness and his rich mercy that he has for us that one day will come and we will be able to see and understand fully the richness of what he's done. But we have to understand that it was him that did it. We can never 
do that. And I was, I was racking my brain this week to think of a story of a time that I was in that moment of complete helplessness. And I, and I finally found one. I remembered one that I think was pretty close to this. So um, probably about four years ago, um, we went to go visit Nicole's sister down in um, uh, Savannah, Georgia. And um, one of the things we did while we were down there is we went kayaking. Uh, if you ever been kayaking out in the ocean, like it's pretty, it's pretty fun. Um, it was pretty cool. And so one of the highlights on the kayaking adventure was you get to go to this old lighthouse. Well, uh, I should probably be honest in this part of the story and say that while the instructor was giving directions and, you know, there's really important things to do and not do, um, I was argue or not arguing, I would never argue with my kids. Uh, I was kindly instructing my kids on what to do for the kayak adventure and really didn't listen to anything she had to say because in my mind, I had it figured out, right? In my mind, like, okay, you get in the kayak, you paddle, you come home. Like, that's pretty, you know, put your life jacket on, you're good to go. And so we get out there and we start kayaking. It's really fun. And, and we're going in the direction of the, of the current. So it's like, it's pretty fun. We're cruising. We're getting out there. And then, then coming back with a different story, right? If you've ever done that, like you're fighting against the current. And uh, it's, it's a lot harder. Somewhere along the way, though, I missed the instructions of not going a certain direction out by the lighthouse. That we were supposed to actually go past the lighthouse and come back if you wanted to go see it. But I'm out there with our, with our foster daughter at the time. She's eight. And... We're kayaking, 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 and I noticed that it's getting a lot harder to, to, to move the kayak, and I'm out there, and I'm just pounding it, man. I'm just, I'm just paddling and paddling and paddling and paddling, and we're not going anywhere, and it becomes, it becomes apparent really quickly that we're literally not going anywhere at all because we're stuck, and I'm like, what in the world is happening? And so somehow in my brilliance and my understanding that I paddled us up onto a sand barge, and, and the current had come out. And so now we are literally stuck on this. And I remember, I remember thinking, like, what do we do? Like, what's the first thing that you do? And um, so, so I, jump out, I jump out of the kayak, and I'm like, well, I'll just push this off, right? Well, what I notice is that when I put my feet down, what do they do? In, in sand, yeah, they start to sink, right? So I'm just sinking like quicksand in this moment. And I realize that there's nothing that I can do. Like, I, I, I take all my effort, and I jump back in the kayak, and I'm just like, I'm looking at her foster daughter, and I'm like, it's been a great run. I've loved you. It's been great for you to be a part of my life, but I think this is how it ends. Um, I'm sorry, but this is it. And in that moment, it was the closest I probably ever felt to completely feeling, like, helpless. Like, there was nothing I could do. I couldn't get us out of that situation. I couldn't move the kayak. I was just, and so I just prayed. That was all I knew to do was just to pray. Um, and, and fortunately, uh, we were able to get out of that situation after a little bit. Um, but that was the closest I've ever felt to completely without any hope, without ever being able to do anything on my own. And that's the condition that we were in, right? We were in that condition before God. He says that, that he sent us the law, but, but the law couldn't even help us, right? The law couldn't even help us. Even, even knowing the standard that God had set up, that couldn't even help us out of our condition because at the core... And because of sin and flesh, we were still stuck without hope. One commentator said that, that the law is like a strong anchor, right? And so you know if you're ever out boating and you put down the anchor, right? The anchor will, will hold the boat there, right? The problem is that we put our anchor in soft sand. And so what happens when you put an anchor in soft sand? Does it hold the boat? Of course not. The law was like that, you know, it was like we put it down there, but because of, because of the sin and the flesh that is weak, right, it's like sticking it in that soft mud and it never holds. And that was the problem was that the law couldn't do what we needed done for us. And so God made a way. God did something. Chapter 2, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, though, tells us what he did, right? He did something. He put that plan into motion. He says that by... That, that for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that you and I, we can't boast about those things because it's what God has done, right? But it's this incredible gift of grace, something that was done on our behalf for us that we could have never done for ourselves. And so we have been rescued by the will of God. And we say, well, how did that, how did that happen? What, what exactly did God do? Well, that leads us to the next part is that it was through the work of Christ. And this is where Paul is, Paul is headed. The end of verse 3, he says, By sending his own son 
in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, right? So he sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh for our, our flesh. Jesus came as a substitute, right? That's, that, that's why Jesus had to come in the flesh. That's why it wasn't just enough for Jesus to show up as a, as a spiritual being, but he needed to wrap himself in flesh and walk through this life and experience in order to be the substitute that we needed to pay for the debt that we had. In, places, in other places, like in Romans chapter 5, Paul will refer to, to Jesus as the new Adam, as the replacement, as the one that was going to come and replace what the first Adam messed up. See, we all probably know that story very well, right? There was Adam, there was Eve, and there was this garden. They lived in this perfect communion with God, and God gave them one rule, one thing that they, they could do or, or shouldn't do, was to eat from this tree, and of course that's the very thing that they did. And so in the midst of their disobedience, that broke their relationship with God. Right, that broke the communion with God. And so ever since that point, humanity has been kind of on this trajectory of being away from God and in desperate need of, of rekindling that relationship. And so Paul paints the picture of Jesus being a, a new Adam, a better Adam than what we had. In Romans uh, 8, sorry, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and then again in 18 through 19, he talks about this. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all man because all sin, right? Because of Adam, because of our forefather who brought sin in, we're now born with a sin nature. And that's apparent if you're, if you're a parent. That's very apparent to you, right? We don't have to teach our kids how to sin. We don't have to teach ourselves how to sin. It's our go-to. It's our natural go-to. Right? That's why I'm so blown away sometimes when I, when I talk to people who feel like, because there, there are people that will believe that we can somehow attain in this life a perfected state where we no longer sin. That like blows my mind. I want to know what they're doing to, to understand that. Maybe what they're drinking. I don't know. Right? But how in the world? Like, it's just so natural for us to fall into sin. Like, we don't even have to try. We're born into it. It's the reason that my boys can't share anything. Right? I can put one toy in the middle of the ring of the room and it becomes like a WWE match, right? Like it's who's gonna beat up who is gonna end up with that toy. I don't have to teach them that. They're born with that nature. And so sin comes now into all of the world. But look what he says in, in later on in verse 18. He says, Therefore, though, as as one trespasses, that one sin led to, there's our word, condemnation, that judgment for all, so also one act of righteousness. One act of making things right now has also led to justification. We're going to talk about this word in just a minute. But justification, uh, changing our position in God and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, Christ, and being obedient to the Father's will, okay, that many will be made righteous. And so now there's a hope for us. There's a chance for us. There's a way out of our broken condition because of Jesus coming as the new Adam. Um, because Jesus came and died and took the place that we all deserved. And that reminds me of a story I heard this week about, um, and, and you guys might be familiar with D.L. Moody, the great preacher uh, back in the day, but he tells the story of a young man um, who... Um, did not want to serve in Napoleon Bonaparte's army, right? He didn't want to serve in the army, but he got drafted into this army, and, and he was really he didn't want to. And so, and so he found a substitute. He found somebody that would go in his place to serve in this army. And so, and so he, he signed up, and he went, and he went off to war, and he died, right? Well, sometime later after this event happened, uh, the young man got drafted back into the army. And, and, and the, the young man is standing before the officials, and he says, look, you can't draft me back in here. My substitute has already went in my place and died for me. And, 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 and so the, 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 the general or whoever it was, you know, he said, well, I don't, know, I don't know what to do. So the case got brought all the way to Napoleon. And when they got to Napoleon and they looked at the evidence and they looked at the roster of the men that had served and died, it wasn't his friend's name that was on the list, but it was his name on the list. Because as he went as a substitute... He went in the place of that friend. And so Napoleon, looking at the evidence, said, you know what? You have already served because, you're, because your substitute has paid that price. 
you no longer have to serve. And they released him and he didn't have to serve in the war. That's a picture of what Christ has done. Christ has looked at each one of us and said, you know what, your name is on a list, right? A list that has transgressed against God, that has, that has broken God's good world and his, and his laws, right? But now the name of Jesus, for those that have put our faith in him, the name of Jesus has been written across our name because he's been our substitute. He's taking our place. And that's what, what Christ has done. He's come to take our place. He has come to fulfill the law. He didn't do away with the law, but he came to fulfill it. In fact, um, John Calvin had said it this way. He said that Christ not only came as, our, as, our, as a second Adam, but he came to put us in a better condition than we were even with the first Adam because of what Christ did. I think that's pretty significant. And so what exactly did Christ do? I love, I love how Paul writes this. Paul is like such a ninja in this moment as he writes this. Look, look what it says in, um, at the very end of verse 3. He says, uh, so he came in the likeness of, of sinful flesh for sin. And look what it says he did. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us. Right? He flipped the script on sin. Right? He now brings the accusation to sin and says, you know what, I've conquered sin, I've conquered death, and so now you can't hold my kids underneath that any longer. Right? I've taken that place, and now he is going to be judging sin. Right? He now is in that place of judging sin in our life. Okay? So here's what I want us to do. Okay? We're going to take our conversation to the next level. So first, first conversation was like, kind of, okay, we've ever been rescued. All right, here's the next one. Um, why don't you guys take a couple minutes um, and discuss what does it mean that Jesus came in our place? Okay, that's a, that's a huge topic. I know we we'll probably won't have to be able to talk about it in detail. But in your life, um, share for just a few minutes what it means as you guys talk, what it means that Christ came in your place as your substitute. Okay? So we come back together. And, and I think at this point it's important for us to understand this process of salvation because we're really going to be talking about a lot of this um, over, over the next course of the next six weeks. And I think it's important that we understand, um, we, sometimes we'll use some churchy words um, that maybe we don't always understand. And those of us that, that love theology, like, we nerd out. And then others who, um, this is just not your, your kind of thing, you're like, hey, let me just, like, spend some time with Jesus and, and dive deep in that way. Um, you're just like, man, don't just use plain English. Um, and so hopefully this will help us to all kind of be on level playing ground as we use these, these phrases and these important words throughout the next, uh, the next several weeks together. Um, it's important that we understand, like I said, how this process of our salvation works out. Um, and a lot of times we confuse terms, and that helps lead to a lot of uh, confusing places for people. And so um, I, th I think for me, the best way to do that is to draw things, and so you'll have to excuse my artistic abilities, um, but I will draw a pretty sick stick man. So, um, so here we go. Um, and so when Paul talks about um, we're all born into sin, okay? So we're, we know we're all born... Right? And we're born into to, to sin. Right? We're born with a sin nature. So we're kind of born into sin and death. Um, and, and, and what he means by that is, is he says that we're all born in our, our, our eternal destination at this point. Right? As we're as we born in, into this world is, is pretty bleak. Right? We're, we're here destined um, to be uh, apart eternally from our, from our God, from our creator, in a place the Bible calls hell. Right, separation from God, um, and that's our that's our trajectory. And so we're all kind of born here, right? And so we're this is where we're at, right? Hold me honest, that's really good. Tyler looks just like you. He just can, yeah, he's not nearly tall enough. Uh, well, he's got to go to he's got to go. He's sad. He's in sin and death. That's right. He's sad, right? And so this is our spiritual condition, right? And and this is where we and this is where we start out. And, and for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, what, what the Bible refers to as salvation, uh, you, may, you may hear the word convert or be saved, uh, be born again. All of these terms point to this moment, this moment, right? That now I'm no longer in sin and death, but now there's a hope and a promise, right? Because of Christ and what Christ has done. And the phrase and the word that we use for this your friends this week by writing a really long word or doodling in Scrabble, right? But the word we use for this is justification, okay? This is the positional movement of going from death into life. 
of being a child of wrath and sin and born destined to spend eternity away from God to being called a son, an adopted <coughs> child of Christ to spend eternity with God. That is justification. That is a one-time moment in the life of a believer. This happens, and it happens in an instant, right? We put our faith in Christ, and we are saved. We are, we are justified in our sin. But praise God that he doesn't just leave us there, right? Because, because just because we're, we're saved or we're justified doesn't mean that we got our life together. It doesn't mean that we're living like Christ, right? We still got a lot of messed up things that we bring in from our old sin and death and flesh in our life. And so, so the next part of that, and, and we've talked about this quite a bit um, over the last few weeks, but, but the next part of that is what does it look like to live as a follower of Jesus, right? And this hopefully, in the course of our life, will look something like this. And we've talked about that, right? So as we live our life, that we're growing in our understanding of Christ, that our, that our life and our character is changing and becoming more and more Christ-like, right? And so we're, so we're here, and we're growing and maturing in our faith. And we call this process, we use another big word, we call this sanctification, sanctification, right? And it's a process. It's a process, right? And so this is all within what we would call the Christian life, right? The Christian life. As we are followers of Jesus, it's this process. And we realize that there's going to be moments, right, that we aren't following Christ as closely, um, and we get and we kind of lose focus. But there also should be these moments that we grow, and then we understand Christ deeper and deeper and deeper. And so that all leads to a point Right? It all leads to a point where we all know that life ends at some point for us, at least here on this earth. Right? It's been scientifically proven. 100 out of 100 people are going to die. There's nothing we can do to change it. Um, and so, so what happens? Well, we know that if we were still in the world, we know where our destination would be. Right? We talked about it. We're going to be headed toward death, eternal separation from God, and hell. But what about for the believer? Right? And this is where we get our third term that is important for us to understand. And that is what Christ refers to, what God refers to. Anybody know the term? Glorification. Right? If you can read my handwriting, you get an A today. Um, glorification. And glorification um, refers to the process that happens when we are now made, uh, remade, we get a new body and a new life, we spend an eternity with Christ. And so it's a, it's a renewed uh, sense of what we should be, uh, a completion of this sanctification process, where we no longer will, will struggle with the sin and the death and everything that comes with that, right? Because even though we're in this process and we are Christ and we know our destination, we still struggle in the flesh here in this moment, right? It's, it's the reason that we still, uh, you can meet people who are followers of Jesus, but yet they're still kind of messed up people sometimes, right? Because they're in a process. They're not completed. They're not perfected yet. But glorification becomes the process through which we are perfected. We are made as Christ is. And so we get uh, in, this, in this process of glorification. So that's the process through which all of this happens. And it's, and it's interesting to note here um, at the end of verse 4, or I guess the middle of verse 4, as he talks about what Christ did, um, let me find my place. So he says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, and then in, in my translation of this, it says, in us, right? In us. And so it leads to this understanding, and it leads kind of to the next point we're going to talk about this morning, that this work that was happening wasn't just something that was done for us, but it was also something that was supposed to happen within us. It's not a work that we do, but it's something that has been done in us. Um, and it's this sanctifying process. That's the bridge. Um, verse 4 becomes the bridge between justification, what God has done in his plan and will through the work of Christ, to sanctification, now what he's going to do in the life of the believer. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he's going to start doing something in us. Things are going to start changing within our lives. And so how is this done? How does he do this in us? Well, he's going to say it's by walking in the Spirit, right? 
This, uh, I'm not even going to draw a dove. I don't know if the Holy Spirit has gotten, you know, <laughs> pictured of a dove, but I'm not even going to try to draw a dove, right? But this process of sanctification is all guided, right, by walking in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit of God, right? That's what this whole process is, is leading to. Christ doesn't just leave us as being, you know what, and, and a lot of Christians, I think, are happy. I think a lot of Christians are happy to know, you know what, I get to go to heaven. And they're like, I'm good, I'm done, and they're kind of checked out. But the Bible never refers to our life being lived that way. It's always about us growing more and more in the image of Christ, right? This is always the process to what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And so we do that by walking in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. That is the third way and, and obviously you guys will notice this paints a beautiful picture of how the Godhead, the Trinity, God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, how they all work. They're all a part of this process, right? But the Spirit that we walk, he said those who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And this word Spirit here is, is obviously a reference to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We refer to the Holy Spirit. This is just a little overview of the Holy Spirit. Um, I think I feel like the Holy Spirit is one of those topics that on one camp we never talk about him, like it's this really freaky thing and, and we're just scared to talk about it. And then there's other camps that that's all we talk about, that's all we focus on. It's all about having this and that that the Holy Spirit does and this and that. And if you don't have it, then you're not in, right? And I don't feel like either one of those places are very healthy for a believer. We need to understand what the Holy, who the Holy Spirit is and what role the Holy Spirit plays in our life. And so as the third person of the Trinity, right, part of God, God himself, um, the Spirit then brings, uh, does several things in the life of the believer, right? And so I'm just going to kind of bullet these off real quick. Um, feel free to write them down if you can catch them. Um, but here's a few of the things the Spirit does. He brings conviction and calling to the unbeliever. And so the Bible says we're dead in our trespasses, but the Spirit of God calls us, right? That's, it's the Spirit of God working in us that helps us to, to even realize our sinful condition. And so he, he calls, he brings conviction in the life. Uh, the Bible also refers that he, he unifies and he seals the believer. He's the promise, right? For those of us that maybe sometimes struggle with our salvation and feel like maybe we've done something to lose it, right? The Spirit is given as that seal or that promise. And so if you have that conviction of the Spirit, if you're feeling convicted over sin, that's your confirmation that you're, the Spirit is in you. And if the Spirit is in you, you are Christ, right? The Spirit doesn't come in those who are not Christ. And so he's the seal. He's the promise, he also produces fruit in the life of the believer, right? The fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit's not a watermelon. Have you guys heard that song? Our kids love that song, right? But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Like, those are the fruits of the Spirit that should be happening in the life of the believer. And the Spirit works through that. The Spirit indwells the believer and helps us to grow in our spiritual gifts. God has gifted each one of us in different, unique ways within the body. And the Spirit is the one that that helps us to understand those gifts and grows those gifts, bestows those gifts. And then also the Spirit, and this is something that I realized this week, the Spirit is the author of the Bible, right? As the men who would sit down and pen the Bible, it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, guiding them, moving in their minds and in their thoughts to write down the words that we have. And so the Spirit then becomes the author. So what does that look like in, in our life, though? Right? We're talking about how the Spirit works in our life. Right? And I heard this great analogy this week. Um, someone said the spirit is like gravity. Right? It's, that, it's, that, it's that force that constantly pulls us back toward God, toward the truth of Christ and God in our life. The spirit is to the soul of the believer in the spiritual world what gravity is to the earth in the physical world. Right? It's that force that pulls us back to Christ, that keeps us grounded, that keeps us connected to Christ. That's the spirit. That's, that's what it means is, is he's going to say that we should walk in the Spirit. See, that word walk is always used. That's a very ancient um, phrase but it, an expression, but it means, uh, it means that one has a life that is bent toward good, right? So when we, when we say we walk in the Spirit, it's not literally like we're trying to chase this imaginary ghost, right? But it means that daily, day in, day out, we are following Christ. We're following what he what he calls us to do, and the Spirit is the one that guides us in that, and guides us in that process. Um, and as I was thinking about walking, and as I do often, it, it made me think of something about my children, and I heard about my children, 
Um, and, and I think it's so true in our life. So, so one of my kids, and I won't, I won't say which one, I'll tell you it was, it was a girl, so you got a 50-50 shot, um, or at least three to choose from, right? Um, you probably process elimination to figure it out. But uh, one of my kids, my little girl, she, I remember one day she was playing in, in the toy room with her brothers, and um, this particular sweet child um, has a really bad habit of not paying attention. And, and so um, as I'm just kind of sitting there watching, it was one of those parent moments where I'm just watching, and I know what's going to happen, but it's kind of one of those you just kind of let happen, so it hopefully can be a life teaching so that something worse doesn't happen. And so uh, she, she's always so interested in what everybody else is doing. She's never focusing on what she needs to be doing. And so she, she's walking out of the toy room, and there was like this, uh, you know, those uh, bouncy things that you have for kids, you know, set in like kind of close to the hallway. And so she's looking back at her brothers, and she's just talking and, and trying to figure out what they're saying and not even paying attention and just literally flips head over foot. I wish I had my camera on. I could have been like America's Funniest Home Videos and sent her to college with the money. But, uh, but she literally just flipped over that thing because she wasn't paying attention to where she was walking. She was focusing on something else. And I feel like a lot of times in, in, in my life, in my walk, that's what happens, right? I lose focus of where the Spirit is leading me, of what God's saying to me, usually because of my own laziness in my life. And so, like, I'm not going to get into the Word, which is how the Spirit speaks to us a lot of times, or I'm not going to pray. Uh, I'm not going to put myself around Christians. And so I lose focus. I get focused on something that's really usually not ever very important, right? And, and, and it's those moments that I have these horrific accidents, right, where I, where, I, where I fall flat on my face and I realize my need and I have to refocus. And I think that's a beautiful picture for what it means for us to, to live according to the Spirit is that if we stay in step, right? Uh, one, one guy said that, that, that walking implies progression in a, in a certain direction. And so if I go step for step with the Spirit, I'm going to be going in this place, in this process of growing more and more like Christ. And that's my hope is that as we take time to look in the Spirit, as we take time to look at what, what the Spirit does and how He lives in our life, that we learn to walk according to the Spirit. Um, and, so, and so here's what here's where I want us to take some time this morning. Okay, it's gonna be our community question. I'm gonna give you guys a little bit more time to, to talk about this because I think this is the this is the practical moment where it all comes home for us today, for a lot of us at least. Um, for a lot of us, we've put our faith in Christ, right? We're justified, we're here. And we're somewhere in this process, right? But a lot of times we get in these moments, right? And, and I think that for a lot of times, the reasons that we, we hit these moments, these, these down ticks and these places that we lose, is because we're not focusing on the Spirit. We're not, we're not focusing on where the Spirit is leading us, right? And so here's what I want, to, want you guys to discuss. Okay, two questions. Number one, what is the biggest challenge to walking in the Spirit? What is, like, personally, what is, what, what is that thing that pulls you away? What makes it hard and challenging to pull you away from walking in the Spirit? And then number two, very practically this week, what needs to change in order for you to walk more closely in step with the Spirit? Okay, I don't want to give it away, but, but, but maybe that means getting back into the Word. Maybe that's getting, um, you know, maybe getting around some other believers on a regular basis. Maybe it's spending more time in prayer. Um, but, but what is it this week that you need to do in order to walk closer in the spirit so we're gonna have a few minutes to talk about that then we'll come back uh together and wrap up so and so hopefully uh as we come back together that we've we've had some time to discuss that um some of those obstacles hopefully even and, and those things this week that we can be encouraged to work on um as we walk in the spirit um and, and I guess this morning as we kind of conclude like our, our response to this, right? What is our, what is our response to the word that we've heard um, from, from Paul this morning? Um, and I think, that it's, I think that it's three parts in that, um, or, or at least two. Um, there may be some of us this morning that's, that's here, right? And so our, our practical step this morning for those of us that have not put our faith in Christ is to realize that, Yes, we can't experience walking in the Spirit because we, we are not in Christ. That's not going to happen until we're in Christ. And so today, maybe that's the call for you. Maybe that's the place that God's stirring in your heart is to take that step from death, right? Literally from death into life, um, of putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And, and I think part of that step is to realize that I don't have it all figured out, and that's why we need the Spirit. That's why we, we need to trust that God's going to get us through that. Um, I, I've heard from so many people, man, I've, I've just got to get all my stuff together and then I'll come to Christ. 
Well, if you wait till that point, it's going to be too late, right? We're never going to get our stuff together. And we never can get our stuff together without Christ. That's why we have to come to him, right? And that's why he comes, comes and calls us, even in the middle, right? Even in the middle of our mess and our garbage, that he calls us to come to him. And so if that's where you're at today, um, we would love to walk with you through that process. We would love to share and to talk and pray with you through that process of taking that first step of moving um, into a place of a relationship with Christ. Um, but also know that for, for probably many of us in the room, too, that, that this is where we're at. We're somewhere in this process. Um, and, and, and sometimes we feel like we're just like right here, don't we? Like we've, we've barely made any steps. Um, you know, I, I remember hearing someone say one time that if you're not closer to Jesus today than you have at any point in your life, you really need to look back at your life, right? Because we should always be growing, growing, growing closer and closer um, in our walk with him. And so if, if, if all of us um, that, that feel that way feel like we need to grow in that, it's an opportunity to walk in the Spirit. We're going we're gonna to really flesh that out next week. Um, as Paul gets into the, the, the last part of this, uh, this passage about talking, what, it, what does it practically look like to walk in the Spirit um, versus walking in the flesh? And how do we do that? So that's where we're going next week, what, what the Spirit does and all of that. But today, maybe the first step is just that acknowledgement. You know what? If I look at my life today and I see where I'm at and I think about the choices that I make, I identify I'm not really walking in the Spirit. So what can I do, right? One practical step for you can be today is to, is to make that commitment to following the Spirit. And I think one of the ways that we do that, one of the important ways we do that is through reading His Word. And so I would challenge you this week, read Romans chapter 8. Um, if you can, read the whole chapter. It's an incredible chapter. But if you're like, I, if you can't commit to doing that, and I don't know why we couldn't, um, at least focus in on, on verses 1 um, down through verse 10 or 11. Because it talks about walking out in the Spirit and what that looks like. Right, and, and hopefully, and, and through prayer, the Spirit will guide you and lead you and showing you those areas of your life. And so, this morning, hopefully, we've been able to see what the role of the Father and the Son and the Spirit have been in all of this. Um, there's another place in uh, in Paul's writing in Second Corinthians where he points out and shows us a picture of of the Father and the Son. And I just thought this was so neat; it was shared with me, and so I want to share it with you guys before we took off this morning because we've been talking about the role of the Father and the Spirit and the Son. Um, but, but look what he says in, in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. It's the very end of his letter as he wraps up. And I'm always reminded and encouraged by how much theology is Paul throws in, even in the, the wrap-up to his letter. right? But he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about the work that Jesus did, the grace that was given through what he did, and the love of the Father, the outflowing love of what God did in order to make a plan, in order for us to come into relationship with him, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And that fellowship, right, that's, that's where we're at, that relationship piece. And so today, hopefully, you're walking closer in that relationship. And so um, we're going to sing one last song, um, Holy Spirit, which I think is completely appropriate for where we're studying. Um, and during this time, if, if God's working in your life and you want someone to pray with you, whether, whether that's this moment right here or somewhere in this process, um, I'll be standing up front, or you feel free to grab somebody with, in your group and just ask them to pray. We're very open in that way around here. Don't feel like um, there's a formal thing. Um, but if there's something going on in your life and you need someone to pray with you, we'd love to do that with you this morning. So Ross and Holly, if you guys would come and lead us um, through this last song, and, uh, and then we'll head out for the day.